Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of X Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Hi Richard. Hi Stephanie. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Actually, this is a, one of the highlights of my week, actually, having this chat with you. <laughs> well, of course, any time spent with the chic Parisian Stephanie is always a highlight in my diary too, so this is good. Oh, well, you're not as stuffy as you make out. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, well, there you go. Um, I know I'm trying to, trying, to trying to look professional and sensible today, but um, ah, yeah, it's uh, a lot of... It's, been a busy week so far so I'm pretty tired so I'm relying on you to kind of energize me and give me the you know take get me get me into my Freddie Mercury mode and everything else and we'll we'll get going on today's topic right which is uh, another impact multiplier and it's a juicy one yes yes it's one of my favorites actually well it's not one of my favorites to experience but it's <laughs> one of my favorites to tackle and I'd love any tips or tools to help with that and I think it's something worth sharing in common with everyone yeah, and that's friction and drama, right? How to address friction and drama. Yeah, and yeah, the magic, magic, magic tool to make all our lives easier. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you'll be glad to know I've actually got, you know, a three-point plan that just immediately takes out any friction and drama from every company. So we're good Oh, to go. excellent. Yes, <laughs> it's really easy. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay, well, perhaps that's not quite the case. We know this, you know, humans are messy and, and, and when you bring people together in an organization, it's complicated. Um, yeah, I like to say, you know, organizations, we've traditionally thought of them as machines in many ways. We've talked about re-engineering them and, you know, restructuring and everything, but yeah, they're really organisms, right? They're organisms, they're living, breathing, feeling, they've got cells and, you know, and, and, and organs, uh, you know, teams and people within the organization. And it's all those interrelationships which make things um, complicated, right? But also have potential to create fantastic innovation and everything else that we know. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea of comparing it to, um, to sort of a, a body and all the organs because, you know, not only is it lots of complicated or simple structures inside which make us who we are and help us achieve what we do, uh, but it's also that a point of failure in one place or an external event somewhere else can lead to all sorts of cascades and consequences if they're not addressed. And I think that's, you know, the friction and drama and is, is something that really plays into that. It, it impacts the bonds between yeah. the different elements and stops them working properly. Yeah, exactly. So ideally, our organization is a multiplier, right? We're talking about impact multipliers, how we scale the impact. Yeah, this is, um, uh, yeah, this we've noticed in the series. And ideally, it's the multiplier. And we think we've got more people, more resources, we can really make a difference. And that's true. But sometimes it feels the organization, it's, it creates drama, friction, stress. Uh, it, it slows things down almost, right? It, rather than creating this virtuous cycle of collaboration that we, we dream of. Yeah, well, we've all been part of restructures or reorgs, which are supposed to deliver massive improvements, efficiencies, outcomes, but which, you know, when you're going through it, it's kind of stressful and it's hard and doesn't always deliver the outcomes that you necessarily expect. Yeah, because you're swapping seats on the bus, but yeah. if you've not actually addressed those interpersonal dynamics, yeah. they're still going to be there, just in a different configuration when you come out the other side of the reorg. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, what I see is that there are, th there, I mean, there's probably a few specific areas where in the 21st century, um, and by the way, just a nice call out to all you listeners out there who are in the 22nd century or, you know, perhaps the next millennium, um, which obviously by, by then it will be vintage archive footage um, that will be, you know, probably broadcast, you know, around the galaxy, Stephanie. So, you know, we're really yeah, pioneering yeah. here. But at least in the 21st century, there are some pretty 
clear inhibitors to collaboration that I think quite quite um, unique to this this epoch that we live in, right, with the internet and everything and technology. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I guess at, at its heart, you know, and we'll, we'll get onto this, friction and drama is, is something that happens because relationships aren't quite right or communication is not quite right. And there's, there's a number of um, sort of baseline elements which, if they're not properly aligned, then create this outcome. And so it's, it's, it's both... I think we'll cover this in our conversation. It's not just about well, now. <laughs> but also addressing it when it happens. You know, what, what yeah. are the baselines? Yeah, and, and you know, right now we've got a lot of, you know, we're living through lots of virtual teams, mm. which can get very easily transactional, right? When a team's virtual, it can just focus on the task and doesn't really build the the coffee, I always say coffee cooler, right? It's the water cooler of a coffee machine. Uh, uh, conversations, right? You don't, those don't always happen. Um, don't necessarily take the time on a, on a web conference to really connect uh, on a personal level with people that you might if you were around the physical conference room. Yeah, I mean, you're missing a lot of the social cues when you're not physically present. Um, you need those social cues to build trust and to build understanding. Um, so it's not it's not surprising that relationships suffer and that means being more proactive about dealing with a those friction points um, and trying to avoid the drama or at least address the drama and not leave it like an elephant in the room yeah and absolutely and um, and so you know you've, you've got you know all yeah so zoom culture you know everyone loves a nice web conference especially in 2020 right after uh, after the covid lockdowns everyone's totally fed up of uh of mm. so many uh of these um uh zoom calls or teams or whatever it is that we're using and um on top of that there's constant reconfiguration right teams change faster than ever right we've got uh, you know we've got cross-functional teams uh people are coming in and out of teams the whole time mm. project teams are being set up we're working across boundaries and yeah. um, so collaboration is harder than ever because it's not stable you know we used to have perhaps an organization and we pretty much work with the same people for quite a while and now there's more and more people coming in and out all the time it's often done virtually globally across time zones um over screens um and often yeah we have to work with people who are not in our hierarchies so yeah. all those things mag magnify the issues Magnify the issues and i guess also um you know sometimes the issues like the drama that happens might have nothing to do with, you know, you see the drama and you, you're impacted by the drama, but it has nothing to do with anything that you're doing, you know, but the fact of the matter is, we are constantly working in all sorts of, as you said, matrices or different relationships all over the place. Um, and so that creates different tensions um, and it creates, you know, you need to grease the wheels uh, because sometimes things are gonna get stuck um, yeah. and you're not, sometimes you're not gonna see it coming. and um, it's yeah. um you know if you really want to be a multiplier as a leader um not only do you have to try and address it proactively but you really need to address it when it happens right and, and i love that proactive thing you mentioned because that's getting strategic you know i'm a strategist at heart and this is the idea of the multipliers it's mm -hmm. rather than just trying to add on here and add on there it's like what can we um how can we release this extra impact and extra uh, growth in the company. And often it's addressing those roadblocks and friction and drama. It's like, okay, how do I put oil in this system, right? How do I do that thing that's gonna be a, a one-off, or not even a one-off, but a, a, a small bit of oil into this big system that's gonna make everything work a lot, a lot better and allow us, allow us to move forward. So I think the, um, the uh, my Freddie Mercury quote for today, which we have to have, obviously, um, is uh, from a, a little-known song. So it's going to be an opportunity to go out and Google it or whatever, uh, or find it on social media. Um, it's from uh, one of their last albums. Called, it's "I Can't Live with You." Uh, I can't live with you, but I can't live without you. Is is how the kind of chorus goes, and that sums it up because it's like it can be painful, right? And sometimes we're like. If we just didn't have any people, it would be so much easier. But we know we can't live without yeah. people and, and without our team. And we want to get it working. 
Yeah, and I, I think I'll just add a little nuance, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I know um, is a strategy that some, some leaders and some businesses use, that sometimes friction can be a positive thing in that you know friction creates it can be competitiveness between team members which can push people to just to achieve that little bit further so it's not that friction is a bad thing mm. but it's, it's not that it's a good thing it's just it needs to be managed properly because drama is definitely a bad thing in my opinion <laughs> yeah yeah so i think there can be tensions within the system that you deliberately set up but i think tensions are different from friction friction is when things are things are rubbing together and slowing things down right friction is a, res is a resistance force mm. um and so that's kind of how i would see it it's like where are the issues which are actually just slowing us all down because of yeah. the internal ways that we're working yeah oh uh, yeah so i guess richard you've never worked in an organization where there's been any frictional drama well not any of my organizations <laughs> obviously they've all been perfect and wonderful uh um, well, actually, it's a good place to start, perhaps, because yeah. I've got I've pretty got three or four points here that I think it'd be good to discuss. But and the first one, which I didn't necessarily think I was going to cover, but let's go there is start with ourselves, mm. because often we kind of look at the organization and go, well, it's, we've got this friction and drama because these people over here, they kind of like they're not performing. They're, they're not really they're no good they're or whatever. Right. But let's look in the mirror, first of all. Um, assume that whatever's going on in the organization is a leadership failure yeah. and actually assume that we have a we have a part you know we have a responsibility in that that actually is empowering because we can do something about it then yeah. but i think if we just put the blame on everybody else we become the victims and it's like all these people they don't know how they're, they're always gossiping they're always complaining they're resistant to change it's always the other person and i think we need to go okay how do i actually create resistance, uh, drama, um, perhaps people react to me in a certain way. You know, yeah. I can be a fairly abrasive, well, abrasive, you know, I can be a strong-willed personality. So I've been in situations where, yeah, I've probably steamrolled over people or dismissed people a bit too verbally or whatever it is, right? And then you have to look back and go, that probably did not actually empower and enable the organization in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's back to one of your earlier points in one of our uh, other conversations, which is, you know, we're all great at behaving well when we're under no pressure, uh, when we're in a controlled environment. But the, the fact of leadership, you know, the, the fact of the, the ambitious people is that we are under pressure. And so um, we are going to make mistakes. And we are, you know, when people, you know, when there's friction, it, it takes more than one person to create friction, you know, it is, you know, this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I, I'm, I'm aware of it myself. And I think in common with um, uh, most sort of leaders, you know, when you've got a clear sense of purpose or a vision, you tend to steamroll, you leave people feeling sort of disempowered. Um, but you can also end up in a situation where you yourself are, uh, people don't want to work with you or um, you have team members who don't want to work together, you know, and, and it is, I think you're right. You've got to look in the mirror when these circumstances mm. are right, because there's going to be some element which you're influencing that's creating that behavior. Yeah. And one of those areas can be the hub, the hub and spoke model. So often I can see, especially CEOs, they know their team pretty well individually, mm but they haven't created a context where the team really work, their executive team works with each other. So we can get onto that a bit later, but that's an example of actually particular leadership style, actually limiting the impact of everybody else around them. So yes, yeah, so looking in the mirror, I think is, um, is an important thing. It's a deeper sub subject than perhaps for today. Um, but I think it's, it's important to realize that we set the culture as yeah. leaders. But you know, perhaps the first thing, the first place to go is, um, is realizing that this is a systematic question, right? Where there's friction and drama uh, in an organization, it's not just an individual or two individuals. Mm. Um, it's not just you know, a team or two teams there's a whole system at play yeah. 
And we tend not to look at that. We tend to look at the symptom and we tend to address the symptom, like, oh, these people are resistant to change or whatever it is. Uh, but there's a lot more going on. There's compensation, there's incentives, there's pressure history, coming down on people. Yeah, history, experience. It's not just a relationship thing. I 100% agree. I think there's so many factors which play in. Um, and it's, you know, it's the one thing out of alignment makes the whole thing just not work quite so well. Um, and it actually, I also think friction and drama is, a, is, it's not an early warning system, but it is a warning system that something's not mm. right. Yeah. And, and often you know, we, we build cultures in organizations based on what has been proven to work. So I'm working, working with a company and they've got some geographical silos emerging and it's simply because they've tried to work across geographies together and in the past it's never really quite worked because actually everybody had very regional incentives and so they've tried a couple of times to bypass the incentives and just do it anyway and in the end they get bogged down and they're trying to do internal transfer rates and whatever it is in the organization and they didn't really work it's simpler to do it ourselves and so a culture has grown up of we should just do it ourselves um, and a little bit of mistrust about doing it with other parts of the organization. And that's just a, a mixture of, you know, incentives on one hand, history on the other hand, just taking root in a company. So what would you say is, so, I mean, I think it's all very well, you know, we understand what might be the causes, but how can you keep an eye on it? Or how can you be strategic about looking at those kinds of systematic failures? Or would you, what would you what direction would you go then what, what's your recommendation in terms of addressing this kind of thing yeah so i think um i think that there's a couple of things so i think the first one is just to think through what are the factors at play you know what is the water that these fish are swimming in i like to put it you know the fish <laughs> doesn't think that it's swimming in water it's like what are what water mm. so what is the water that these fish are swimming in what's the culture and the setup that we have put in place? What are the boundary conditions we're working within? Um, and just to think through, you know, what is going on? You know, what are people being incentivized by? Um, what are the priorities that they've been given? You know, often we take a big complex company with lots of interrelationships, we divide it into tiny little segments and we get everyone to optimize their own segment. Mm. And so no wonder if we, you know, if we, and all these, all these parts of the machine have feedback loops on each other. So marketing is trying to generate the biggest number of leads. Sales want to generate the uh, the highest conversion rate on the leads marketing are giving them. Um, you know, the um, customer care wants the highest quality product. Uh, CFO wants the lowest priced um, process. All these things are, um, are trade-offs that we need to make. But when you actually break it all up into all these different areas and you incentivize people on their own microcosm of the system, it's no wonder that we get um, friction and drama emerging. So the first thing is I'd say is just step back and, and think about it and you know, perhaps do a, literally a mind map on a, particular, you know, on a particular issue that you see, literally draw your mind map and just start brainstorming what are the components just to get a sense of it. Um, what I would do is, um, is then think about structure and life. So structure and life, think about a, tre a, a trellis, you know, a frame, a grid, and then a vine or a plant growing on that, on that grid, on that trellis, on that framework. And um, the life is often what we focus on, but the question is what is supporting and holding up that life? So in many organizations, you know, the, the, the life is it's the team and the work and all the things being done. But what's the structure? You know, what are the meetings that we have? Who are we? You know, what's the communication protocol? What are the tools uh, that we use? You know, yeah. Very, how often do we see each other? Where are we located? Yeah. How, how often do we spend talking? How much time do we spend building relationships rather than delivering tasks? How much do we step back looking at our behaviors and, and and adjusting those with each other, or are we just focused on the results achievement? Um, one exec I spoke to this week uh, had a nice idea. He said he's, he's actually taken to using different communication channels to signal his intent with his team. So if he's WhatsApping them, then that's going to be like a casual, how are you doing? Mm. 
um, how's the family, just checking in with you kind of conversation. Mm. Um, if it's on Microsoft Teams, it's more of a, um, uh, like, let's get creative and kind of like think about new ideas for the business and um, uh, be a bit more open-ended in our discussion. Mm. And if we're going to have a, a WebEx video call, then it's more of a structured, formal business review session. So for example, he's used to using that as a way of building some structures. Um, so he can kind of have a look, have I got a mixture? And also signaling to people what kind of conversations we're having, but it also allows him to check, am I having all the right sorts of conversation with people yeah. remotely? Uh, so I think the life is, you know, the structure around the life. What are the meetings? What are the conversations? What are the topics? What are the systems we have in place? Yeah. But that's all obviously the kind of the systematic side. Um, but then we need to start to think about, well, what are we going to actually do about it? And where do we start in the system? This is just a quick interlude before we get back to today's main conversation. To celebrate the launch of the podcast, we're giving away, for the first time ever, a coaching package valued at over $3,000. You can use it yourself or you can give it to a friend or colleague who wants to multiply their impact. To enter, all you have to do is leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or in your preferred podcast app and send a screenshot to podcast at xquadrant.com and do that before 15th of September 2020. If you do miss that deadline, then leave a review before the 15th of October and there'll be a chance to win a smaller coaching package. For all the details, head to xquadrant.com slash podcasts. Reviews are the lifeblood of any podcast and so whether or not you're within the eligibility uh, time, it would still be fantastic if you would leave us a review, if you like the podcast or if you see the potential in the future as we continue to refine it, develop it and add to it. Many thanks and let's get back to that conversation. And my, my second point really, the first one is to look at the system as the first place. My second point would be start with the executives. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, um, you know, it's very easy to point the finger elsewhere or to assume that the discontent is coming from the ground up or the friction is coming from the ground up. But generally like, you know, we're all children at heart. We kind of emulate the behavior of, you know, the, the people we respect or the, the people we sort of look up to every day, which will be leadership. You know, if you're in a, if you've got the right kind of leadership, even if you've got the wrong kind of leadership, people are going to be looking up and emulating that kind of behavior. Yeah, no organization can be healthier than its number one team. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. cannot, <laughs> you know, you cannot assume, you cannot assume that, well, I always say to, you know, if I'm working with a CEO, I say, well, look at your executive team. If we could make every team in the company just like that, in terms of the trust, the, 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 mm. the teamwork, the, the, the shared goals, the, the energy, uh, all those things, relationships, you know, would that be a good thing? Yeah. You know, have you got something you're ready to multiply in the business? This is all about multiplication. You have to have something to multiply. So I would start by saying on the team level, like, do you have a, a team in the executive team, which is a model? And many, many, most <laughs> probably executives say to me, actually, we're a bunch of high performers, but we're not a high performing team, actually, at the executive level. Yeah, yeah I think um, I couldn't agree more. I think um, I, uh, I'm just thinking back to an experience I've had. So I've, I've worked, I've always worked uh, prior to recently in the services side of, of businesses. And, and the, the great sort of uh, a truism is that services and sales don't get on together and they're always at loggerheads because sales are selling stuff and services are going, what the hell are they selling? And uh, sales people are trying to grow the business by closing deals and saying, why are services getting in the way? And I've worked, and when I think about my career path, I worked in the first organization I worked in, sales and services, you know, you rotated through services and sales. So there weren't two teams. So I yeah. took it for granted 
and I didn't realize that there was supposed to be much of a question. I right. just took it for granted that, you know, we're all part of the same team. Yeah. And that's what we do. And then when I changed companies, I moved into a leadership role where I was running a services team and I had, uh, there was a different team, which was a sales team, which I had to work with. And I took it for granted that, you know, we'd collaborate and work together and I didn't pay attention to it. And because I didn't pay attention to it, then we started getting lots of friction in terms of closing deals, uh, delivering projects, because just the communication just wasn't there. There was a lack of trust. Um, we were just not addressing, and it wasn't a problem with the customers. It wasn't a problem with the product. What was happening is that we were just creating a sticky mess in terms mm. of not just my ability to work with my counterpart, but our own team is sort of retrenching because often you come into an organization and there's existing teams. So, and then I moved on from there and then I paid extra attention to it. And suddenly, you know, I saw the warning signs earlier, was able to address it and built, I felt like I built a, a, a really good relation, a very collaborative relationship with my sales counterpart. Um, and I think there's a little bit of, you know, when you get to a senior level, you've kind of seen, you haven't seen it all, but you've seen a lot of it. Mm. Um, and it's about, finding focus on, you know, in terms of my objectives or the, you know, the company's objectives, our mission, what are the most important relationships that we've got to get mm. right in terms of the function? You can't be, get on well with everyone all of the time. You're not going to be able to stamp out all friction points, but you know, where are the key relationships? Where are the key yeah. areas which need to just work without needing supervision? Yes. That's what friction creates, you need supervision. Yeah. Um, and that's what you have to pay attention to. Yeah, it reminds me of, is it Franklin Roosevelt said, um, I've never, I'm not sure it was him, it was somebody like that, who said, I've never, um, I've never been able to solve a problem by making it smaller. I always have to make it bigger. Um, and I think that's helpful because actually when you make a problem bigger, right, so rather than how do we, how optimize my services organization, right, it's like how do we completely wow customers yeah. and deliver the most best, then suddenly you can then rally other people yeah. behind that and, and, and you can, you know, you can start to solve the higher level problem together. Yeah. Um, and, and I see this all the time, I mean, I working with a multinational on a big technology strategy initiative, let's describe it like that. And I went through all the interviews and discussions with people and it came a lot of part of it comes down to trust yeah. and alignment in the executive team i mean it doesn't on the service it wasn't anything to do with that it was all about how we're going to build a relationship with a new partner and roll things out and all the rest of it we actually look at what's going to hold things back yeah it's actually you know we don't really trust each other in this group team yeah. don't really trust each other um and as i said no organization can be healthier so any cracks in the leadership team of an organization are going to ripple through and actually propagate across the whole organization. It's incredibly yeah, difficult. And I think, yeah, and I, I actually think trust is the oil which helps unstick friction points. And, and, and the, the great example is, you know, is whether a misunderstanding becomes a friction point or just a minor bump in the road. Mm. You know, misunderstandings either stick around and become stickier and stickier because there's a lack of trust Yes. Well, a misunderstanding allows the conversation or the understanding that, oh, God, you know, she was a real nightmare today. Yeah. Uh, really steamrolled me. And then, you know, you never move on from that. See, that sticks. Mm. Or if you have the trust, you're able to have that open conversation, go, hang on a minute, what's going on? And then sort those things yeah. out. And that is a, that there is a key thing you can do very practically as a leader which is to um, really insist upon a culture where you go directly to the source when you have an issue. So yeah. there's too much in organizations, way too much people who, who are allowed to go up the chain, to go down yeah. the chain, to make their point known. Yeah. Um, and it's totally toxic. Yeah. because it doesn't actually resolve any issues. You just get a slap from somebody, from your boss going, I don't know, apparently you've got to slap you about this thing. I don't even know what's going on. Uh, the tool I use is address or amplify. Yeah. So when somebody comes to you to let off steam, oh, I can't believe what you know Stephanie did or Richard did or whoever it is, 
they did this, I'm really annoyed with them. At that point, you've got a choice as that third party, you know? You either basically turn them around, say you need to go and talk to them and have the discussion. You need to address it. And if you do that, you create the opportunity for resolution and breakthrough and relationship and a deeper understanding. Or you can amplify it. You can go, oh yeah, you're right. I've had that experience too. They're jerks, blah, blah, blah. And you amplify it and you get gossip and drama. And those are the two choices. Yeah, and the address choice is not an easy one because what you'll get is, and I've experienced this, you'll get resistance from the person who's escalating something to you. And so as a leader, I've, I've had at various times team members escalate to me and go, so-and-so is really annoying, so-and-so is not working properly with me. And when I've, uh, sometimes it's been really hard to do the pushback and say, well, have you talked to that person about mm. it? No, yeah. <clears throat> and that people are because it's a difficult conversation to have. So yeah, then you have to coach people. You, know, you have to turn into instead of doing the quick fix, which is passing on the message, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't yeah. really address the problem. You've then got to coach exactly. people into having difficult conversations. Exactly, and and that's why um, if you can start at the executive team and say this is what we this is the way we're, we're dealing it right. So I don't. So you create the culture of. If you're going to come to me, I'm going to push it back to you. Have yeah. you talked to them? And if you have and it hasn't worked, okay, well, then let's have a, let's have a three-way conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is the way that you're going to nip things in the bud. And when you can create a culture where people start to learn that that's the way it is, yeah. it will, it does, and it, it, it will permeate into the, the approach. And people start to realize it works. Oh, Stephanie wasn't deliberately trying to cut me, you know, undercut me in that meeting. Mm. She was thinking about this, right? Oh, I didn't get that. That was a communication yeah. misstep. We didn't quite pick up on that. You don't understand that, and you you end up living in your own internal world yeah. if you don't do it. So address or amplify. It's a key. It's a key thing when an organization has too much friction and drama. Uh, address and amplify is you know address or amplify is a key concept that people need to know. Yeah. I think one health warning though is if, if, you, if you're moving towards an address versus amplify uh, approach, and if it's a change to your normal approach or a change to company culture, make sure your own boss knows about it. Um, because otherwise what will happen is your team member will come to you and say, can you help you know, pass yeah. on a message? And they'll get frustrated that you're resisting just being a messenger. And they will escalate if that's part of the company mm. budget, they will escalate right. to your boss. And so yeah. if your boss isn't briefed and doesn't understand what you're trying to do, then that's yeah. going to create a friction. <laughs> right. And that's why I'm saying, you know, that's yeah. why I say from the yeah. CEO perspective, start at the executive team, yeah. really make sure that is modeled because then you can multiply it. Once, once the executive team actually know that they can't bitch yeah. about each other to the CEO, yeah. then, and they start to see, oh yeah, actually this, these conversations aren't always easy, yeah. but actually um, we get, it's getting better, right? We're actually learning and we're working, we're actually getting closer. I, I liken it to uh, hedgehogs, you know? It's like when you start to get pricked by, by the other person, it means that you're kind of getting closer to them, in fact, yeah. right? It's easy to be polite and at a distance. Yeah. Um, but that reminds me of the, the joke about British people, you know, if they're, um, what is it, if you're, if they're, um, if they're really polite to you, they don't like you. Um, um, you know, if they, um, if, if, if they, if they make fun of you, then you, you know, they, um, you're their friend. Yeah. And if they don't speak to you, they're in love with you. <laughs> yeah. Cultural differences. Um, very true. I think that's, that's so, that's so stereotypical. It's actually true. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? Um, yeah, so, so you know, building this collaboration culture, um, and we talked about trust, and it's one of those words that gets bandied around, and there's two sorts of trust. I think it's important to see. There's, do, we trust, do I trust you to deliver? Yeah. To do what you'll say? And that is about really, um, account, things about accountability there, and making sure that you're not putting people, words in people's mouths, but people get an opportunity to say, yes, I commit to that. Mm. And then you hold them accountable, well, you, you hold them accountable to themselves, right? You say, you promised this, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the other sort of trust. And the other sort of trust is the deeper level, which is, do I trust you to um, take good care of 
a weakness that I have? Do I trust you to, to enough that I can share a vulnerability yeah. and not have it used against me? Yeah. And get to those level of conversations which are a bit edgy. Mm. And again, that is where I see so much potential that doesn't get tapped into. When an executive team or any team can actually, you know, really has each other's back, genuinely. And we can tr you can trust each other that actually I can fail and it's gonna be okay. Um, people gonna uh, perhaps stop me from failing even, right? Get, get there before I fail or whatever it is. Or, um, you know, or if, if, I, if I don't know something, if I, whatever, then I, I'm, I'm supported. That is super important, right? It comes to the essence of psychological safety. Everyone talks about it, but do we actually spend time building that level of trust? Very rarely, it's relegated to like a two-hour session on your offsite every year. Yeah, and and if you know, as a leadership team, you know, and as a leader, you know, uh, back to your original point, you know, people emulate the the behaviours uh, and the frictions that they see in in their leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and so you've just, you know, if, if it all is as a two hour leadership meet, team meeting, you're not going to see the impact multipliers. You kind of, you have to mm -hmm. really actually make the effort to, to, to put in place these trust mechanisms. Um, the address or amplify, I love that. I'm, I'm just, that's going to stick in my brain. Um, just to, to get to where you need to get to and you just got to yeah. reinforce, reinforce. Yeah. And, and so I think, um, when it comes to, creating this collaboration culture there's a few things right so the first one is you know trust you know is key um the second one is the balance of contributions right most teams have 20 percent of people doing 80 percent of the talking uh and actually when you do that people aren't don't they don't feel heard they don't feel they can speak up they don't feel that um they are given a chance to really bring their best um Often in executive teams, that's a mixture of personality-based dynamics, and it's this sense of a functional culture, right? People where people are very much in their silo. So the marketing person just talks about marketing, their speciality. The salesperson talks about sales, their speciality. The operations officer talks about operations, and they don't feel they can actually have been given permission to talk across the business because they feel I'm stepping on people's toes and everything else. And actually that's, that's a killer because most organizations, most CEOs end up feeling like the person at the restaurant who's left picking up the bill, even when everyone's agreed to pay their part and realizes that it doesn't all add up. You know, everyone says they've paid their bit. Yeah. And there's always right. a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. bit. And most CEOs, I, I think, feel like that. It's like, yeah, everyone's highly responsible this, you know, for their bit to the business. But the overall business outcomes that I want are not being delivered on. And that's this issue of creating a high-performing team rather than a team of high performers and creating the shared goals. It's probably a topic for another conversation, but yeah. friction and drama, um, you know, can, the drama is more obvious, but the friction can just be there because people are not able to even contribute. I suppose that's my point here. Yeah. I think we've talked quite a lot about friction and, and, uh, and this, this may be a way to sort of wrap up this conversation, mm. but, the, the dra drama is more, is bigger than friction. Yeah. So, you know, um, A, is there any circumstance where drama is a good thing? And B, you know, what are your, you know, your top experiences or, or feedback on how to address that, that drama? Because it's almost like a flashpoint drama. Well, how do you, how hmm. do you look at that? Yeah, drama is um, excellent in theatre. Uh, <laughs> Um, um, I, yeah, I think, um, I mean, my sense is that in one way when drama happens, it is a bit late in the day mm. and prevention is a lot better than cure. I was brought in to work with a team and they were literally, I, I came in and before the meeting started, two people came up to me and said, one person came up and said, I've resigned. <laughs> um, I'm so fed up. And so, you know, and nobody else was like, this isn't going to do any good. You know, he's mentally checked out already. He was mentally left the organization. Now, actually, at the end of the day, of, the, of that day together, we did a lot of kind of serious like, opening up 
heart to hearts and 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 bringing some of the issues out and the baggage out and actually you know the person gave it another chance and um and there was a new sense of hope uh, i think often drama happens when people have lost hope when people have felt there is no way through when there are issues that have not been actually dealt with all those things are, are around I, maybe another way of putting it is drama is when people have given up on trying to solve the friction or solve the problem i think often yeah i think yeah. at some point people just go okay um not been working this approach yeah. um and I think, you know, you can never totally pre pre prevent it. But again, talking about language, we talked about that previously. Mm -hmm. um, how do you create a language that fosters collaboration, right? I talked about language in terms of accelerating learning and driving insight across the organization. But actually, most organizations don't have the common language for collaboration um, and for building trust and for communicating and for giving each other grace when it comes to our communication missteps. So we each have our own tendencies that can impact our communication with other people and our collaboration. And that can create misunderstandings and drama. And we think of the person's just being an idiot, but they've just got a psychologically different way of approaching issues. And so a lot of organizations sense this and they like get everyone to do a personality test and you come out as a lion or a puppy, do puppy dog or a series of letters yeah, or you're red or you're, whatever. yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or yeah, or you're a nice shade, shade of purple or whatever you want to be, um, or you're square or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is. And it's kind of interesting in the moment, but it, it, but it doesn't get used so often. But it does create awareness. I, I mean, it reinforces it awareness. Um, and I, I wouldn't underestimate the value of people with, you know, creating awareness in people with this experience, you know, helping, you know, instead of it being a top down driver, it's also a, you need a bottom up sort of swell because it's, it's not just about as a leader trying to demonstrate and exhibit and drive right. behaviors. It's also about educating and people understanding the why. So that's. No, and I'm I'm a huge fan of all that stuff. Yeah. I geek out on on any of that stuff. I can I've done <laughs> I've analysed myself and and I've analysed clients and teams and millions of dimensions. There are three steps on the journey though. Mm. The first one is self understanding. Yeah. And different tools are better or worse at that, and they they give you different angles into yourself. So understanding a bit more about how that works is great. The second level is social understanding. Do I actually understand the team dynamics? So do I understand who my other team members are? And not just who, but how that actually starts to work itself out in conversations. So whenever I do this, people, um, my clients actually tend to be really surprised because they haven't had that, those tests in the past really brought into what does it mean around the boardroom table? What is it, how do, how's it actually going to show up in this kind of meeting? So, yeah, I know that I'm more of an extrovert and I know that you are more task focused and I know that so-and-so is super organized and process driven or whatever, right? But then how is that going to come up around the coffee uh, machine? How's it going to come up in the meeting, in the client, in the stress situation when you're under a lot of pressure? Um, and how do we adjust our language to help each other? So that second area of social understanding, people do a bit of and often find it really helpful. Yeah. Uh, and they start to get it. Often, though, it doesn't get the follow through. And it's, it stays a bit of a passive vocabulary. So it's like when you learn a foreign language, you learn some passive vocabulary like, oh, yeah, you know, in, in personality terms, I'm, I'm an ENTP or yeah. I'm red or I'm a, you know, I'm D on disk profile or whatever it is. But then how do you make it an active vocabulary that is actually used pervasively in the organization? Um, so when I've, you know, when I, the best things I've seen when I've worked with organizations, it's actually when they get to the stage where they start to make a self-depreciating um, joke, you know, uh, oh, yeah, I know I'm a X, you know, or like, this is going to be a classic thing for me to say, right? Because I'm a bit of an X, right? And the, or the other people will go, oh yeah, you know, you might take this the wrong way because, mm. because I know you, whatever. And, and it becomes the language. Yeah. And that's where labels can help with way more than labels and the best test to have a lot of depth and nuance to them, but actually just having some framework to allow us to, 
navigate some of these relational boundaries together can really help. Yeah. A lot of executives have said, yeah, I've done all that. We've done all my team, you know, I'm red, they're blue, whatever. But it hasn't become, it hasn't become a living language that people, a lens that people really use in the heat of the moment. Yeah. And when it does become that, Again, that's something that can become scalable. You can get every team to understand it. When you bring a new team together, they can very rapidly um, get, a, get a very intuitive understanding, but it has to be simple enough. That's why the complex tests are great for your self-understanding, but they get, they're too complicated to use on, you know, you, can't, you can barely remember what yourself is, what your profile is, let alone everybody else. So you need to have language which is subtle enough to give you some nuances, but memorable so that you can actually internalize those learnings yourself. I, so, I get excited about this. So yeah, I, I, I see that. Uh, so, so just <laughs> my recap, so to recap the three things are self, social, sort of uh, implementation of understanding. And- uh, Yeah, and, and, then the, and then the actual language, language. living language. Okay. Yeah, so self-understanding, a social understanding, okay. and then the living language, which actually, um, starts to permeate other discussions it's not just saved for the session we did with a coach or a trainer or whatever um it actually bubbles up in business discussions across teams and so forth so that's that sounds like a neat kind of three point sort of uh, reference point uh, for dealing with friction and drama um do you think that's a good place well no i think that's, that's a good place to i mean probably there's so much we can say and again we've got a whole you know series we can do more and more on this but i mean i've had i've seen the transformational power i was on a board i'm more of an innovator you know i love to think how are we going to take mm -hmm. go to the next level what do we need to change what are we going to break to to do that other people on the board were very much more conservative guardians of the finances, the operations, not wanting to take too many risks. And we were in conflict for, for a while, right? We were on this board trying to uh, plot the future of the organization and there wasn't a lot of trust there. And there was quite a lot of friction. Um, we'd always be analyzing what are they really trying to do with this? You know, are they trying mm -hmm. to really lock, you know, am I trying to like lock them into some crazy plan that's gonna burn <laughs> through all the resources or, or are they secretly trying to just kill the organization off through irrelevance and decline you know uh when we started to have this language for understanding what we we're focused on what our desired impact was what our style of expressing ourselves was um and where our blind spots were you suddenly realized actually we need each other um yeah. that together we we have the ability to really create something much better than if any of us just went into our own corner and built the plan. Um, and you start to realize, yeah, who's going to need to take this to the broader organization? Who's the best person to champion that? How do we, how do we stop rubbing up each other the wrong way? All these things, right? And that for me, that, that was a transformational moment when we brought together a team of very different dispersed people and they suddenly started to act like a team. So it's not the only solution, but I think it's, it's like an infrastructure that you can deploy in your business. If everybody had, and I've got some very specific ideas about which one of those tests work and don't work and why, but I think when you do have that language to support collaboration, we've also touched on other things, address and amplify, um, some of these other areas, when this language starts to take root then you create a culture where issues are dealt with where people are kind of actually uh given some grace about their own personality styles and work better together yeah okay so that sounds that sounds like you've seen that um addressing friction and drama um you see the the tools in effect and you see the impact multiplying effects of that so that's why you're a believer um so that's why this podcast is about you know episode was about to, talking about this this topic sounds like you could probably talk for another five hours yes um, and i probably will quickly before i do it shut <laughs> me up come on stephanie keep control of this situation yeah, come yeah. on 
so, so we'll save some of that for another episode. Um, uh, shall we? Um, shall we talk a little bit about what we're going to cover next time, and then we'll we'll finish with sort of some final thoughts. Absolutely. So next time we're going to talk about uh, multiplier number five, which is master transformation. Hmm. Mastering transformation is important because. If you want to do something different, we have to create new behaviors in ourselves and our teams. But most companies don't have a systematic way to do that. So no wonder everything feels hit and miss. We've all been on those off-sites where we've come up with a lot of plans and initiatives and we should be, do we should be doing this, and then they just die a quiet death. Uh, we all know a bunch of things that we should be doing quotes in the business or we or would be good to do and yet we can't seem to make happen we can't get the discipline in there and so i think that's a key one right how do we actually help an organization learn how to master the new habits that it needs to succeed in the future so that'll be uh next time's conversation brilliant so i guess if anyone's interested in learning more uh about what we've been talking about today or any of our previous podcasts um, just head to the website, the YouTube channel, or subscribe to on whatever podcast channel you're on at the moment. Um, the website is xquadrant.com. Um, final thoughts on the topic of drama and friction. Yeah, I um, know a lot of executives are super smart and are really focused on creating a smart organization, having the right strategy the right processes, the right systems. And that's super important. You know, you want a smart organization, but often they forget the other dimension, which is healthy. Is an organization healthy? Um, do people enjoy working there? Are conversations productive and take things forward? You know, is there low, low, low internal politics, low, rate of people leaving because they're totally fed up with their management, uh, uh, all these kind of things. How do you create healthy organisms uh, where the, organ the parts of the body communicate well with each other and, uh, and do so in a life-giving way? And I think that idea of smart and healthy is really important. So often we over-rotate on smart because we feel we can, it's like the hard and soft stuff. You know, it's like smart is like the hard stuff and healthy is the soft stuff. But actually, it's the other way around. I mean, in the sense, it's not so hard to come up with a decent strategy. Mm. In one level, it feels a lot harder to actually create healthy behaviors in the organization. But actually, that is where the value is created. That's why I love doing what I do, um, because I see the impact on the strategy. When you get teams, individuals working in a healthy way together, then you release all that energy and that momentum. Wow, nice, nice thought to think uh, to finish on. Uh, thank you, Richard, uh, for a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie, for waking me up from my uh, afternoon uh, slump and having a fantastic conversation. All right. Bye. Soon. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in a position of top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level. Well, this is what we do. If you'd like to know more about our community of extraordinary leaders, visit us at xquadrant.com.